listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Big J Journo Jacobson, as they call him in the business. Broke him in this weekend. We're live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio as part of the Republic of Texas football feed, or as our friends at Two Bears. Between Two Bears says the Republican football feed. Uh, just finished up the sidewalk sale over at Cardinals. Now you can officially start gearing up for football season. I feel like after media days, after Big 12 media days, it's officially the football season. The offseason's over. It's time to start talking real ball. Uh, all these offseason Mount Rushmore's going on. End them. Start talking ball. It's time to do football. It's time to gear up at Cardinals right outside the loop on Slide Road or online at mycardinalsports.com. We'll get you some Texas Tech gear. Kyle, how you doing, man? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been, what, five hours? Five hours. I got in uh, 32 minutes ago. Distance makes a heart grow fonder, Rob. It's true. I missed you. I thought about you the whole way back. Uh, That's a little much, actually. (laughs) Just kidding. I listened to the uh, uh, book on tape. Oh, okay. Terminal List. Have you seen it? Well, it's a book on tape, but it's also a, an Amazon Prime series. It's pretty good. It's a good book. It's a better book than uh, – it's a better listen than watch. I'll say that. There's more details in the book. All right, Big 12 Media Days. Uh, do you want to start with some broad thoughts or do you want to fi- – let's finish with broad thoughts. Let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to start in order of how they did things, so we'll go – Brett Yormark, and then across the first seven alphabetically, and then the last seven alphabetically for day two. And then we'll finish with some thoughts, but we'll make this concise. We'll open with Brett Yormark. His opening statements, his his year was Bowlesby's tenure. I mean, in the last year, he's done more for the Big 12 than, Bull, than Bowlesby did. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's not even really close. In in one year, he has done more for the Big 12 Conference than Bowlesby did in his entire tenure. But we're naming awards after Bob Bowlesby. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, you know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. I, We've hammered Bob Bowlesby enough on this podcast. I don't need to rehash it. But what a – why? I but just ha- don't understand. But have we? Like – I don't love taking that angle either of like, hey, let's just start a podcast and rip on this guy. I'm pretty sure his salary was like eight or nine million dollars a year. And it does chap my hide, not to not for Matt Wells to catch a ricochet shot here, but when people are like, well, you know, he, he was a nice guy. Like, yeah, that's true, but we were paying him three and a half or four million dollars to do a job. And it's one thing if you just give it your all and maybe it doesn't quite work out and Matt Wells will probably tell you that he gave it his all. But like when you just, when you have 12 guys in your recruiting class and say, yeah, we're full, that is just, 
indefensible. And I feel like Bowlesby's tenure kind of mirror that like, Hey, I'm, I'm cashing checks. We have the same 10 teams we had a decade ago, even though every other power conference has 12 or more and has a conference championship game. We're not going to do that until we're forced to play a conference championship game, but we're still not going to expand. And then, yeah, you give your mark one year and we're in Mexico. We have a brand refresh. The conference tournament has record attendance for basketball. Um, our conference football game, I think had the second highest viewership of any power five conference championship game this year. And it's like, clearly there was no effort being made to enhance the status of the conference and Texas and OU, they were not harmed by that because those are national brands. They're blue blood brands. They're going to the sec. Now they'll be flush with cash. Their reputation is just fine. But for programs like Texas tech, and I would say our peers in the Big 12, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, like we kind of need the conference to work on our behalf. And programs that I think would be kind of on a similar level to us within their own conference, like let's say Iowa in the Big 10, they benefit from the Big 10's reputation being enhanced. Yes. And so it wasn't just like, oh, well, we don't like Bob Bowlesby, so we're going to be mean to him. He had a job to do. And not only was he not good at it, it, for all intents and purposes, appears like he wasn't even trying. And that pisses me off as a fan because I want better for my school. And I know fans of Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas, whoever, they want better for their school too. And so you almost didn't even realize how bad it was until your mark was in the chair and working his magic over the last 12 months. And it's like, man, where would this conference be if we had this kind of energy and effort for the last decade? Well, even you and I just sitting here talking before Bowlesby, before, you know, the infamous July 26 date or whatever it was two years ago, where you kind of get stabbed in the back from Texas and Oklahoma. Before all of that, we're looking at this conference and saying, well, if you need to make more money, there are opportunities. Just brand more things. And all of a sudden you have the Rucker Park thing that's happening next week, which I'm sure will be branded in some capacity. And then you have... Uh, the pro day that is partnered with the NFL and that's going to be branded. You had the, the, the old trapper beef jerky, big 12 media days. I mean, everything has a, a sponsor to it and that just wasn't happening. And, and that's the small money that turns into big money for a conference like the big 12. Yeah. I mean, you, you add a million here, a million there for every school and like, okay, the TV is 32 million. And then you make some bowl money, some NCAA tournament money. You sell some ads, some corporate sponsorships. Like, that's how you kind of close the gap. And that video that Brett Yormark played at the kind of beginning of his remarks, that production alone, that 60-second video, is was more effort to market the entire conference, not just Texas and OU, than we've seen, like, ever. Maybe, maybe during the one true champion phase when they said, like, hey, it's a round-robin schedule, everybody has to play everybody, that kind of included everyone and spoke to the depth of the entire conference. But besides that one effort, which, by the way, was a mess because the year they rolled that out, there was a split championship between Baylor and TCU. Yep. But the mentality was, hey, we have Texas and OU. We're fine as long as they're here. And they said, well, we're not here anymore. And it was like, well, well, what do we do now? And Bowlesby's strategy, again, not to rehash stuff that is a couple years old now, but was to go cry about it basically and say, well, they – that's most of our media value. So what are we going to do now? And have $14 million. Well, 
that's your job to figure it out, Bob. And like, yeah. that's why maybe had you elevated BYU and Cincinnati to power five brands a decade ago, we would be in a better spot as a whole. So it, it is frustrating. Um, it's nothing personal. It's not that I just love ragging on the guy, but again, I want what's best for Texas tech and the conference and to compare and contrast your marks one year tenure versus Bob Bowlesby's near decade tenure. It's like, man, I, I don't feel like it was worth the paycheck and, it, it makes me mad. It really does. He was the Big 12 commissioner from 2012 to 2022. In that decade, what was added? A, a conference championship game. About halfway through. Yeah. Which is literally all in, that was in place before he got here. You just had to add it back in. Yeah, and that was something everybody else was already doing. So you were, like, catching up to everyone. And then he just re-upped the current media deal again and wanted to, wanted to do that twice. He took the, the strategy, the route of let's try our best to appease our two cash cows. And that didn't even work because they left. And it was like, well, we haven't seen Texas Tech, West Virginia, all these other conference members – uh, promoted, marketed, enhanced throughout this process because we were too busy kissing their ass, and they left anyway. Yeah. Uh, a couple of specific comments. You mentioned the brand video. As soon as that was over, they played it live. Yormark stepped back to the middle of the stage and said, I love that video. Play it again. And they played it twice, back to back there, which is awesome. And it speaks he, – he called it a brand video, um, which you would you would have never heard in the previous tenure, it would have been the, the big 12 commercial or whatever. And they wouldn't have played it at media days. They would have just rolled it out silently in the, in the conference games that are being aired on Fox college sports, not even on the major networks. It's the streaming and the ESPN plus games that those commercials are running on. So nobody sees them except for people who watch the big 12. Now you're putting out brand media, branding, brand power, these are words we've not used with the Big 12 because they haven't been marketed. You have a marketing department now. That is brand new. Yeah, and that's a good segue into some of his remarks, uh, which before we get into the substance of the remarks, I want to talk about the style of the remarks. I, I'll be honest, this is my first Big 12 media days to attend. And most years, I'm just kind of like waiting for – the Texas Tech coach and players to hit YouTube, and then I go catch up on that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Brett Yormark had basically a, a sheet of paper, and he's reading from this a list of accomplishments and forward-thinking initiatives. He's pacing the stage, so he's not seated behind a desk. He's not standing at a podium. And then after those prepared remarks, which were accompanied by the video, some other visual um, aid, he sits down for kind of like a fireside chat, moderated discussion and then Q and a with the media, even that the way he presented what we're about to talk about seemed new. And like he had command of the room. It was, it was casual, but also like strictly business. I mean, it was, he was hitting data points on here's what we've done on social media. Here's what our viewership was for these various games. Here's what our teams accomplished in the NCAA tournament in bowl season, all that good stuff. So even that was like, I don't know if we've had a commissioner other than the usual, like, you know, we had five teams make a bowl game this year. Yes. Every commissioner know. does that, but yeah. they the kind of firepower that your Mark had in his opening remarks. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've seen 
Bob Bowlesby or other Power Five commissioners go up there and give that kind of presentation on here's what we accomplished the last year, here's what we're looking ahead yeah. to do. Maybe Sankey. Yeah. Maybe Sankey. Uh, but it, it, do, it doesn't see. It seems like those conference commissioner remarks are always reactionary. This felt very proactive. Yeah, so let's get into everything he said. I mean, and there's 20 bullet points to cover. Um, I'm not going to go in order, but which, by the way, if you want, you can probably find this on YouTube or um, ESPN Plus somewhere maybe. Like I said, there's kind of visual graphics to aid in your Mark's presentation, but the social media, the branding, I know that's something that you care about, and I'm going off the top of the dome here, but I think he said that our social media, whether it was followers or engagement, something was like a 300% increase year over year. And that if you add up Twitter and Instagram followers, we're now the second most followed power five conference. And so for all this noise about power two and that the big 10 and the sec are so much bigger and better, wider reach than everybody else. That's true in terms of their media payout and probably their TV viewership. But for whatever reason, apparently we're beating one or the other in social media engagement. And so that's, that's a positive. I, had you asked me to guess, I would have said, no, we're, we're third at best and you know, probably behind the ACC as well, just given how big some of those markets and alumni bases are. So the fact that you're second in social media following, I think is something you can build on for sure. Yeah, and it's a 300% increase in one year. I mean, you just started using these accounts, uh, firing off a couple of barbs. Think about doing that for a full two years and where you're going to be. And, you know, something that he said to, uh, I think it was Heather Dinich that did the little fireside chat, was that he's targeting Gen Z. Well, how are you going to do that? You do it on social media. And I'm sure they're on TikTok too, doing Big 12 uh, TikToks. I'm not on TikTok, but I'm sure the Gen Zers are there doing that. And then Twitter and Instagram is a huge platform. Well, you know, what does that do? What does that really do? Well, it's a social reach and it's brand recognition and it's brand power. And it's being in the front of mind for people who don't often know, oh, there's a big 12 game today. Maybe I should watch it. And it can be monetized. Uh, Yes. I, I know Texas Tech does this. So when Texas Tech plays Oregon, we will at some point kick off to Oregon and some kid will go grab the tee off the field and he'll be the covenant hospital kid of the game. And then they'll have the Rager Dykes auto group highlight of the second half or whoever, you know? Um, And I don't know how much those go for. I mean, not nearly as much as what you could probably get conference wide, but it was old trapper, big 12 media days. Yeah. And you can have the, I'm making this up, but if they mic up every coach and put together a five minute montage every weekend, that would get a million views, by the way, every Sunday afternoon, if they put it out and it can be the Phillips 66 hot mic. And maybe you get a million dollars from that. I I don't know. Free advice. Yeah. Another good comment he had during the fireside chat was the open for business clarification. And we've talked about this on this podcast, and I feel like you and I knew what he was talking about. But nationally, when they heard open for business, everyone thought realignment. Oh, that's realignment talk. We're going to go realign here. No, 
everything we're talking about, the brand initiatives, the sponsors, Mexico, um, growing the social media channels, that's all business to your mark. Your mark is not just conference realignment and on-field success. He is a brand manager and he is a, a marketing genius so far. That's what he's talking about open for business. It's the pro day. It's Rucker Park. It's uh, locking in to 2030 at AT&T Stadium for the Big 12 championship game in football. It's doubling down in Kansas City with the basketball tournament. It's finding a venue or venues for the baseball tournament. That's what he's talking about with being open for business. And everyone took it as realignment because realignment was hot last summer. Everything he's done since is what he promised he was going to do last year. They're open for business, they're creating business, and they're getting new business to the Big 12. Yeah, another thing, I guess, kind of related to Big 12 Mexico, which was one of the highlights of his remarks. I think he said, for the first time, we will have a, uh, a Spanish language broadcast of the Big 12 championship game. And I think he also said three other radio broadcasts that are Spanish language like throughout the year. So I don't know which games those will be. But again, you talk about reaching a new audience, whether that's Gen Z, fans of the game in Mexico that you know probably have no collegiate affiliations right now. If you're the first conference in that footprint, and you know there's a lot of Spanish speakers in the U.S. Um, as well from younger generations or older generations, if you're the only conference that's kind of routinely uh, targeting that demographic and able to broadcast your games, whether on radio or TV, in Spanish – it sets you apart and like, I think it immediately makes you a magnet for, again, new audience. And so you're not going to catch up to the Big Ten or the SEC by adding blue bloods like Florida, Ohio State and Notre Dame aren't going to join the Big 12. But if you're thinking ahead in some respects like that, you can, I don't want to say close the gap because I don't think you'll ever get there entirely. But I don't think you'll, if you do enough good things like that, you won't fall so far that you allow this power to narrative to take hold and say, well, like nobody cares about the big 12. Cause if you counter say like, well, the big 12 does better with people who speak Spanish in the U S or abroad and with Gen Z and people that are on social media platforms, that's like, that might sound like it doesn't stack up to the big Ten's exposure on CBS, ABC, Fox every Saturday, but it does kind of start to add up, especially long-term if you can kind of like maintain those inroads over five or 10 years so I, I loved all of that in terms of reaching a new audience because the Big 12 has always been – like if you look at where the Big 12 schools are located in our footprint, the markets aren't there. The Blue Bloods aren't there anymore. You have to find a creative way to to engage with people. And, and that's kind of the beauty of social media is like you don't need to be in a precise location to absorb the information or consume the content. And so you start doing things like that. You go into a, a new market like Mexico that nobody's in. Um, well, okay, okay, yeah, maybe the SEC and ACC have a stranglehold on Florida, but if you have Mexico City and you know millions of American football fans that are trying to tune in in Mexico, I think that's a good thing. And by the way, I don't want to leap ahead to Joey's remarks, but Joey sounded very positive toward the idea of Big Twelve Mexico. He's like, if they want us to go play, we'll do it. You know, sounds fun to me. You ready to move on to some coaches? Yeah, um, one more thing you kind of alluded to that I just want to go a little bit more in depth on. We, we've talked about this and fans have talked about this, but like 
hey, now that the conference is expanding, would there be other uh, Big 12 basketball tournament sites or football championship game sites that, you know, you rotate? It's a fun hypothetical, and I could come up with a list of cities. Your mark doesn't want to do that. He made that clear. He said, Kansas City is great for us because multiple conferences have their conference tournament in New York. And so, like, they're all kind of sharing the spotlight. Kansas City, we're the only show in town. We're close to a lot of the alumni bases there. And same with football. He said, Jerry World is like the mecca of football stadiums. Why would we want to play anywhere else? And so, really, for basically the next decade, I think you're locked in at both of those sites. So whether you think it's better or not to rotate or stay in one spot, he is very committed to kind of making that a constant, making it routine for better or for worse. Uh, so that was just kind of another part of his remarks that I wanted to highlight. I'm ready for the 2031 football Big 12 championship to be at Arrowhead, though. I still want that to happen. Uh, let's see. Hyatt says for years in the nineties and early two thousands, tech had a Spanish broadcast for football. Not sure why they stopped it. I don't know. I didn't remember that. Uh, and then Haley, Haley said, uh, your mark said getting a small fraction of the 22 million in Mexico city would be massive. I, I agree. And somebody else said, I, I don't see it here, but it, it compounds. Oh, Haley mentioned it again, that it compounds over the next decade. This is a long-term plan to move into Mexico, it's not just to have a couple of games in the next five years. And by the way, there's a lot of people in America that speak Spanish. So you're not just streaming that radio broadcast to Mexico City. Yeah, and I think it, 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 it see, uh, I think it's also important to realize, like, kind of the difference between different Big 12 schools. Like, I can understand why Iowa State fans or Kansas State fans might not be jazzed about that, but. Um, again, like Texas Tech, I think has a higher share of uh, students that are Latino or Hispanic than maybe any other uh, university in the Power Five or, or some kind of tidbit along those lines. I know they're a Hispanic-serving institution. And then if you do add schools like Arizona, Arizona State, you have Houston. Um, like I, I would scratch my head a little bit. Like if you had UConn and Iowa State and UConn are playing in Mexico, I'll be like, okay, I don't know if that was the right choice. But if you have Texas Tech versus Arizona in Mexico City, I, I think that's perfect. And so, I, I don't know, I guess maybe individual schools across the conference feel differently about that. I'm I'm all for at least trying it. And if it doesn't catch on, you you try something else. But I, I think it could be a good fit for, for a school like Texas Tech. Agreed. Okay. Uh, if you're done with your mark, I've got a couple of coaches from day one and then most of the coaches from day two to talk about we'll go through maybe line by line a couple of comments that each coach had i will start with sarkeesian your favorite quote of the weekend um and i'll paraphrase but flat out saying we're texas we're going to get everyone's best shot and i understand that in the big 12 sense but he added alabama we're going to get alabama's best shot because we're texas and, and we were talking about this off here, but it's just so emblematic of the state of the program of Texas over the last decade that they believe a, and we'll get to Chris Kleiman's comments, which I thought were, were great to deflect after your question. Um, but it's just such an, an, an emblematic problem of Texas thinking they are everyone's Super Bowl 
when they're just another game on the schedule for most Big 12 teams. And I understand this year it's going to be a little different, and I get why somebody might say that everyone will get Texas best shot. Everyone's going to give Oklahoma the best shot on the way out, but Oklahoma's won six Big 12 championships in the last 10 years or more. Texas has won, been to one in the last 10 years. So for them to still say that and feel that way, it's just so funny to me. Yeah. I, if I was a head coach at Texas as like an outsider, if they hired me tomorrow, my introductory locker room speech and press conferences, this program has earned absolutely nothing over the last day. Like nobody in the building right now has accomplished anything. So for and I, I was this close, Rob, to finally buying in and be like, okay, you know what? Year three, the culture's in place, the depth is there, they're more talented than anybody, which they always are. They just don't do anything with it. I was this close. And then like unprompted, I think Sark even like pointed to the logo on their helmet and was about to say something like, you know, people see that logo, they see Texas, and we're gonna get their best shot. So man, like here's a dose of reality. You won eight games last year, you lost five. Uh, you can blame all five of those losses on the fact that you were the other team's Super Bowl, but that's what Ole Miss did when Tech beat them. It's what OU did when Tech beat them. It's what Houston did when we stormed the field after beating Houston. Had we beaten NC State, it would have been our Super Bowl. Like, if half the games on your schedule are your Super Bowl, maybe you just care about winning every game on the schedule. And that's kind of a preview to Kleiman's answer. But that response just made me think, okay, nothing has changed internally, culture-wise, They think that they deserve to win by birthright. If they show up wearing uniforms that say Texas across the chest, they're entitled to a a larger number on the scoreboard. And if they think that, that's why they keep losing to Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas, you name it. Like, you're 500 against West Virginia, the consensus last place team in the conference that's about to fire their head coach. Over the last decade, you're like the exact same as that program. And so I I was honestly stunned that, Nobody apparently internally has taken the standpoint of like, we need to earn this before we like, yeah, you can tell me about the sixties and seventies all you want. Yeah. But like, we need to kind of earn this prestige again before we just lord it over everybody's head and say, Hey, we went eight and five last year, Yeah, but we're number one on everybody's target list this year. Like, come on. When Bill Parcells got to the Cowboys after a stretch of inequity, he made every single player on the team earn the star back. They had blank helmets in training camp. This is the Dallas Cowboys, who the decade before he got there had won three Super Bowls and still had Jerry Jones in the front office, and he's making guys earn the star. And Sark is out here saying that it's the Longhorns. We show up. Everyone wants to beat us. Yeah, hell, it's the Big 12. And several coaches say that. We'll go straight to Kleiman. That's all I had from Texas. But we'll go straight to Kleiman, who is from today. You asked him in a roundabout way to, to describe – I'll let you do it since you asked the question. Yeah, I, uh, this was a, a veiled response to what I thought was a terrible answer from Sark, who basically said, we're everyone's Super Bowl. We have to be ready for that. Um, but I asked Coach Kleiman, I said, uh, you're the defending Big 12 champion. How are you and your team going to approach going from hunters to the hunted – uh, I added in, I, I think I used Sark's term. I said, um, you're going to get everybody's best shot. That's what Sark said. He said, we, we get everybody's best shot. I said, you're going to get everybody's best shot. How are you and your team going to approach going from hunters to the hunted as defending Big 12 champs? Because, by the way, 
Kansas State and TCU who made the playoff, like they're the two schools that have earned the right to say like, hey, we're we're the big dogs right now. We're going to get everybody's best shot. Not an eight and five team. And I love that Kleiman accepted it and then, yeah. and then implied. Yeah, he said he said he said, I, I embrace it. I look forward to it. Uh, but at the same time. He said every game is equally valuable to us. He said that everybody in this conference is good enough to beat everybody else. Um, and so if I tell my guys like, hey, one week, this is a really big game. What does that imply for the next week that we can let off the gas or something? I mean, he worded it differently, but he said every game is important. And like basically what he was getting at is any team can beat us. We're not going to walk in and just, hey, well, we won the Big 12 last year, so we're going to win next weekend. And, and that's why. He's a winning coach. He won natties at the FCS level. He won a Big 12 title before Sark ever won 10 games in, a, in his career as a head coach at the college level. I thought his answer was perfect. He said, we embrace being the hunted, but also we don't take anything for granted. We don't take anybody lightly. Everyone is good enough to beat us. Um, but we also, like, we're going to answer the call and step up to the challenge. So I, I thought it was a perfect answer and just totally emblematic of why that program, despite having – no advantage in resources, talent, anything over Texas has the same number of Big 12 titles since they've been in the same conference for the last quarter century. And they have two since Texas last won its last Big 12 title. I also love that he slipped in the uh, – we had to go back and, and win another FCS championship after we had just won one. So like, we've done this before. We've won multiple championships in a row. We've gone back-to-back at a high level. Um, is it going to be difficult? Yes, but we can do it again, I feel like is what he was saying. Uh, what I wrote down from the quote was, everyone circles every game in the Big 12. That would be a good approach for every coach in this conference, whether it's West Virginia, the last place pick team, or Texas, who thinks they're going to get everybody's best shot. Like, of course you're going to get everybody's best shot. Like, unless the other team across the field from you is just dysfunctional, what team is showing up going, you know what? Uh, we gave it our best shot last week, and so we need more recovery time. We might give it our best shot in two or three more weeks if the logo on the helmet of the other team is quality enough for us. But we're not really going to give Kansas State or West Virginia or Texas Tech our best shot. We'll give them, I don't know, 60%. Who says that? Of course you're going to get everyone's best shot. Yeah. But Texas uses it as, as, as an excuse. Like, oh, well, of course we can't beat West Virginia or Texas Tech because we're their Super Bowl. It's just stupid. All right, let's go to Mike Gundy, uh, who's a day one guy. Uh, felt like he didn't want to be there. He was what? pretty short with his answers. He's short with his answers. Um, we also heard – oh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, but Gundy is still mad about OU, throwing him under the bus, giving the same answer he's given five or six times. And I understand he's been asked that a bunch, so he's going to give that answer that he gives all the time. But – you know, it's not Oklahoma State's fault. We want to play. It's OU's fault. And Venables was asked this uh, today. We can do Venables next if you want to, but uh, I don't know. I, I just – I didn't get the feeling that Gundy loved being at Media Days, which you don't have to to be a head coach. But to run a competitive program, I feel like you have to work every angle, and that's just another angle you need to work. Yeah, I, I think that any of us, no matter what job we have, whether that's – sweeping floors for minimum wage or coaching college football for $7 million a year, you have to do things that you don't want to do. And maybe this is old school. Maybe this is get off my lawn, but 
the other 13 coaches wore a suit and tie. He wore a polo. And it's like, we get it. Like, you're Mike Gundy. You don't want to be here. We all know that. But you are an ambassador. You're the most high-profile public ambassador of the university. Like, can you wear a suit for half a day? Yeah. Do you feel like his beard is too manicured? A little bit, yeah. It is jarring how sharp those lines are on his beard. And it is very close to his face. And I don't know how long the, um, like, flippant, fearless renegade act can work for him. Like, it, it, it did kind of work for most of his career. And, like, especially after, you know, he had some good seasons, it was like, well, you know, I've been here before. We're going to do it my way. And like, he's earned the right to, to say that. But I don't know. Maybe it just rang a little hollow for me coming off a, a not-so-great season with them, and they lost a lot in the portal. It's like, hey, man, I don't know if everybody's buying into this. And so, like, whether you like it or not, you might have to win some people over. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was Sam old Gundy, and he's – He's had a Hall of Fame career doing it his way. I don't know if it will keep working. Like, I think you and I maybe think a little bit differently about Oklahoma State this year. Um, but, yeah, the Bedlam thing was – it was also what we've heard before from him on that topic. And, uh, and Venables was asked about it, like you said. We'll get to Venables later. I, I, there's some other guys we want to talk about first. Um, Gus Malzahn who was an imposing presence. I thought he was bigger than I thought. And I thought he commanded the room pretty good. Yeah, he's he's in, he's in an interesting spot because he was – I mean, he's coached in a national championship game. He's coached in several Iron Bowls, obviously, like played in the SEC West or, or coached in the SEC West. Goes down like multiple levels to a group of five program. But – I've always thought UCF was like a good fit for him. Like he's, he's recruited the state of Florida. Uh, he can out scheme a lot of the coaches in that conference. And I'm excited for big 12 Gus Malzahn. I think that, and again, I don't want to, I guess it's fine to weave in some of Joey's comments, but, but Joey mentioned that he feels like him and Malzahn are kind of cut from the same cloth that Malzahn came up through the high school ranks. And he, he was very complimentary. He said like, he's an offensive genius. He can out scheme anybody. And he just attacks you so many different ways based on the personnel he has. Um, like whether his quarterback has a great arm or it's a good runner, if he's got speedy receivers, if he's got big body tight ends, if he's got good running backs, like he'll just find a way to attack you a million different ways. And it's hard to stop. And so, yeah, I feel like he, he said something about how the American athletic conference media days, the last two years were over zoom. And yeah. these weren't his words, but what I took from his comments were, it's nice to be back in the big leagues. And so Exactly. Unlike, yeah, so unlike some of these coaches or group of five programs, maybe the head coach at all the newcomers has power five experience. Like Dana has navigated this exact same transition before. But like maybe some of those staffs aren't filled out with power five guys. I feel like Gus has the confidence of I can do this. My team can do this. Like I've coached at the highest level in this sport against the very toughest competition, but but not in an arrogant way. Like, I think it's the quiet confidence, the like, we're going to trust ourselves, we're going to trust our scheme, we're going to trust our players. And so that was the vibe I picked up. He's, he's very comfortable. It wasn't like, oh, you know, hey, thanks for inviting us to the party. We're so happy to be here. I mean, he he checked the box by, by saying that kind of thing, but I think he's here to win. And I, I don't know if year one, if they'll get to the top of the conference, I think they'll be good. But the way they're recruiting, if, if he stays, which I think he should, because like, he'll get another power five type job if he wins at UCF, but it's such a good fit for him. And especially he talked about how 
The Big 12 brand helps him recruit the state of Florida. And they're winning four stars against guys that have a Florida State or Miami offer. I like I would put them in the top three of the Big 12 trajectory wise, you know, looking out four or five years from now, if he's still there. So I I loved hearing from him. I, I think that's a, a great fit for UCF. You mentioned the Florida bit. Um, the first question or one of the first questions he was asked was, you know, how big of a disadvantage is the geographics of being in Florida, not really around any other Big 12 team? And he gave his answer. He didn't really feel like it was a, a disadvantage. And then maybe two or three questions later, somebody asked about Florida again, and he talked about how much of an advantage it was to be in Florida and to be in a, a conference like the Big 12, where you have the advantage of being in a Power 5 conference, playing against Texas teams, and having the opportunity to recruit to that Texas bed with Florida players. And he talked about how big of an advantage it was and living in Orlando and traveling to Orlando and having people want to come to Orlando to play the bounce house. So I liked his answer. I liked his mentality. Uh, one of their line I liked from him was that they've not been in a rush to build this roster. So he thinks they're going to be ready. Uh, they've basically had two full years to build a big 12 roster and have been able to use the big 12 recruiting tools for two whole years. And they went and got a bunch of starters uh, to plug into that team from other places because they want to come play in the big 12. Uh, I thought that was a good line from him as well. Yeah. I think kind of an early adopter of the portal, he's taking in power five guys that he thought could, could play right away. Another thing he mentioned explicitly was that there's no pro team in Orlando, which I hadn't really thought of before. And granted there's not in Tallahassee or Gainesville either, but maybe close by in like Jacksonville. But I think his point was like, if you come play football at UCF, you're the only ticket in town. Like, there's no Buccaneers, there's no Dolphins, there's no Jaguars, um, and especially in the NIL realm. Like, uh, I brought up this point a couple episodes ago. But if you're if you're playing in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, where America's team is, like, it's going to be hard to get a lot of oxygen in that market. But I think that's kind of what he was implying was, you know, we're we're Orlando's team, and like, yeah, we have NFL fans from the Orlando Metro, but like, we're Orlando's team, and so. Yeah, I'm just I'm super bullish on their position in the Big 12, and I think he'll be really good for the conference. I'm I'm excited for when they come to Lubbock. And and one more tidbit on UCF, he didn't mention this, but their stadium I think right now is 45 or 50 thousand. It's it's expandable to I think 60 or 65. I think I think 65 actually. And if they did expand to 65, assuming no other expansions, it would be the largest stadium in the new Big 12, um, right above BYU at like 64. So. Man, if he if he starts winning ten games there and they're recruiting the state of Florida like that and they've got enough fan interest to put sixty thousand, sixty five thousand people in the seats, they're going to be really good in this conference. Which I think they do. I they have the fan interest. I think uh, they've already st- sold out some Big Twelve games. So also a good fit for what your mark was talking about with Gen Z. UCF has I think the largest, maybe the second or third largest student enrollment but they don't have a large alumni base because it's such a young school and they weren't huge until the last, I don't know, 20 years. So a lot of their alumni are like in their twenties, but you can imagine 20 years from now when all those guys are in their fifties, forties, thirties, and twenties, and like all the market power that that demographic, that age demographic has, I think that school might be that, that school might fit really perfectly kind of the age demographic that your mark is targeting. So I'm just, 
I'm like buying all the UCF stock that you can sell me right now. If you look at a person who was on campus, let's say a, a, a sophomore on the football team, their very first football team, th- that guy's 60 right now. From the very first football game to now, he's 60. If you look at Baylor's first football team, that guy died 30 years ago. Or, right. Or so it's just – it's striking how young – the UCF program is they started playing football in 1979. Yeah. And like, as far as individual players, I, I think the oldest one I can name is Dante Culpepper. And he was there at the end of the nineties. Like he was, I think for their 1998 season. And so that was, I mean, that was 25 years ago, granted, but there are other guys from like Earl Campbell was playing 30 years before that for Texas and, you know, Bobby Lane. So you can name these guys, Gail Sayers at Kansas. They were playing, 50, 60 years before yeah. the oldest guy I could remember at UCF. And so then you think about their modern guys that you can rattle off off the top of your head, maybe like Kevin Smith, Brashad Perriman, Blake Bortles. Those guys played in like the 2010s. And so just so young and and they've had this meteoric rise to the power five. It's truly unprecedented. And if they can just stay even close with that momentum and trajectory, they're going to be a, a real force a decade from now. Uh, somebody I didn't write down notes on, I forgot to go back and write down notes was Dana Hogerson. Um, you mentioned that he was like Gundy didn't want to be there. I feel the opposite. I I feel like he loves media days. That's just his personality because he's sitting down talking with guys. He went and talked to the Dave Campbell's guys. He's spending time. He's on radio row. He's yucking it up. He's talking about Red Bull. He's just tired of answering the same questions. Uh, the thing I take away from his comments was most, most, I'll say it this way. He was asked about Texas Tech and then brought up Texas Tech twice unasked. And all of them were about the game last year. Uh, he did say he was glad because the guy that beat him is now on his team. But we mentioned Super Bowls and circling games on schedules earlier. I think Dana Holgerson has circled the Texas Tech game for sure. Yeah, that was – it was interesting because, I don't know, yeah, like sometimes you get the coach speak and, again, to preview Venables. Venables kept saying like, well, like we put last year behind us, it doesn't matter anymore. Dana was like really harping on it. And so the first time it came up, I was like, okay, like this has clearly stuck with him. And then, yeah, I don't remember what the second question was that when it came up, but it was like he was asked about something totally different. He was like, well, yeah, and, like, and then there was that game in Lubbock where we lost in double overtime. I was like, yeah. man, you've been thinking about this the last nine months it or so. burned into his brain. Yeah, which is is good because I, I was worried that he was getting a little bit nonchalant and complacent. And if, if a loss, a non-conference loss is still eating at him that much, it's like, okay, well, maybe he still does have some hunger and fire there. Um, and, yeah, maybe they're like totally out for revenge. He was also extremely confident. He was asked, basically, okay, you lose your starting quarterback who started the last two and a half years for you. Um, you lose uh, Ultimate Caskill, maybe the best player on your team. You lose Tank Dell. So great trio, quarterback, running back, receiver. How are you going to replace that production, which is a maybe my biggest question mark for that team. And he was like, yeah, you know, if there's anything I'm not worried about, it's it's a skill position. And, so something's got to give there. Either the people worried about the lack of returning production are right or Dana's right, and, like, he's got him coached up, ready to go. Um, so that was my other big takeaway from him is just 
he lost three great players at three different offensive skill positions and apparently is not worried about it. And he didn't bother to give the coach speak of like, oh, yeah, they're great players. The guys behind him have a lot to prove. He was like, I'm not worried about it, like, like straight up. I think Donovan Smith is as good or better than Clayton Toon. Maybe as good. And I do believe in the wide receivers, but losing Tank Dell is so huge. But if if there's a coach that has replaced wide receivers or if there's a school that has seemingly had a steady list of wide receivers who replaced the guy before them, it's been Houston. So uh, one guy, another guy I didn't write down was Leipold. And the only thing I remember from his comments, other than him being boring, was he used the word holistic about six times or more in, in 10 minutes. Like he used it in every answer. And I don't understand. I didn't really understand how he was. Sh- it's like he read it on his word of the day calendar. I was like, oh, I got to work at holistic this today. If you had given me a prop bet before Big 12 Media Days on whether Lance Leipold or Dave Aranda would use the word holistic more, I would have laid like minus 1,200 on Aranda. Uh, which Aranda was an interesting guy. We'll get to him. But yeah, yeah Leipold was a bit um, – he lacked some of the gravitas that some of these coaches have. Like a lot of these coaches, um, in a good way, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they could just work the room like a politician. Like they walk in and it's like they've known everybody their whole life. They make everybody feel special. And I think Leipold's like a good recruiter and he's obviously gotten his team to buy in. But she didn't have the same kind of like – energy from the podium um pretty good drip he had like a paisley tie that looked good so jacket um yeah he he was just kind of like an all business yeah just kind of like an old school football coach kind of guy i i did have one more comment that i remember from him uh somebody asked him about managing expectations and he basically said hey i'm just glad we have expectations but you know kind of the eat the crumbs kind of thing that which is a climbing reference but Leipold said, you know, you can't you can't take anything for granted. You know, it was six and seven. We played well, but we got to play better. So I liked that answer too. That that he he embraces that there are expectations at Kansas, but he's nowhere near where he wants to be. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to answer that. Cause like in a relative sense, yeah, there's more expectations for Kansas than there has been since Mangino won an orange bowl. Um, but also acknowledging that like six and seven isn't the mountaintop and you still want to aspire to something better. Um, would have been funny if he said like, we're, we're the game that everybody circles on their schedule. And we're going to get everybody's best shot because of, because we went to a bowl game last year. I, I would have thought that was really funny. Yeah. I think he went before Sarkeesian. So yeah. he could have said like, Hey, I even beat Texas a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and then yanked all my players off the field. All right. Uh, oh, let's go back to Aranda. Um, the only line I had from him was his transfer portal business. And I just, I guess I understand it because I've watched Baylor and I understand, but he just, maybe he's getting it now, but he did not get it. He didn't understand the transfer portal because he was talking like, you know, and, and he said this before, but, you know, if I, you know, if I'm focused on the transfer portal, I'm neglecting the players on my roster. It's like, well, they're leaving. <laughs> Your whole secondary left. You better get some new guys in. Yeah, he said that when you tell a player in the transfer portal, yes, you have to tell a player on your roster, no. Which I kind of get what he's saying, like if you're at capacity on scholarships, but if 
if you know every year 20 guys are going to leave through the NFL graduation or they just want more playing time, like you can kind of account for that and say, okay, we're going to go heavy high school this year and then take three or four guys in the portal or vice versa. Like we need immediate help. So we're going to go heavy portal this year. So I thought that was kind of a, a strange initial position for him to have on the transfer portal, uh, but said that they were kind of more open to using that. Um, something I want to do for our Patreon, Rob, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos, $5 a month gets you access to the number one Texas tech fan discord server, private interviews, um, portion of all proceeds go to the Matador club. Something I want to put up there is some returning production data. And when I was compiling it for Baylor, I'll just give a quick preview. They have one offensive lineman in their two deep that has started a college football game at Baylor. They have three offensive linemen that have started a college football game, period. The other two that didn't start one at Baylor are brothers who both transferred in from BYU this year. So had he been adamant and said, I'm not going to use a transfer portal this year, they would have literally one offensive lineman that had ever started a game in his career. And so that was that was kind of eye-opening for me when I was looking at some of this returning production data. And I, just, I think every coach needs to embrace the portal to some extent. Um, you don't have to go heavy into it. You don't have to be a big player on the portal. But you look at position groups like that and say, okay, like if we don't have a single DB that's produced at this level in this conference, it's okay to supplement in the portal. And I don't think you're necessarily telling guys on your roster no when you do that. You just maybe take a little bit lighter of a high school class to keep those scholarship counts even. Um, the the other note on Aranda, apparently, uh, I don't even think he mentioned this, but others did. His, his father apparently passed away very recently from, uh, I think, a cancer diagnosis. And um, so people are just commending him for still being willing to show up to Big 12 media days and, um, I think Joey referenced that and you know sent his good thoughts and vibes to Aranda for the passing of his father and you know alluded to how much he learned coaching under Aranda at Baylor um, and so yeah the, the, those were the two things that stuck out to me with Aranda was the the shifting sentiment and strategy on the transfer portal and uh, his recent family loss and of course we send our best as well. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on Aranda? I, again, he's a I hate to use the word boring for Aranda because he is a captivating guy, but he is monotone. He's just calm. Calm is a good word. And yeah, he was like, he was interesting too, because his opening statement. So this was a a funny takeaway for me, for somebody who's like kind of only started to pay attention, but the diversity of opening statements, you have guys that ramble because they don't want to answer questions. You have guys say like, Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for showing up. Let's get to the questions. And then you have Aranda who's like, he starts talking football and like lessons learned from last year. And, you know, just like Paul said to the Ephesians, and now he's quoting scripture. And now I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is captivating. I, I'm not sure what it has to do with football sometimes, but it's like, I, I, I want to sit here and listen to more of it. Yeah. So he's an interesting guy. Like, uh, and then we went on the Between Two Bears podcast, also part of the Dave Campbell's, uh, uh, the, the Republic of Football Network. And it was funny the way Evan characterized. He said, like, this is the first head coach that I felt like I haven't had to defend in the past, like, three administrations. Because I guess, like, even when Rule was there, it was like, uh, I was a little surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So 
anyway, I, I think he's well liked and and yeah, just kind of like a calming presence, interesting character, but um, very very kind of unique in terms of style among the other Big Twelve coaches. All right, just because we can, let's go in order for the rest of them. We'll go to Joey McGuire next. Uh, I just want to get Joey McGuire in here before we go too long. Yeah, me too. Uh, one other thing I want to compliment the Big 12 on at kind of a high level, not specific to any coaches, just a good overall event and production. Um, audio was good. The video was good. The food was good when they served us lunch. It's on schedule. Yeah, on schedule. Like they had staff everywhere kind of pointing in the right direction. It was I have nothing to compare it to because I've never been to media days of any sort, but I felt like it was a very efficient operation. Um, I don't know what kind of barbecue they serve at Jerry World. I know it's hard to cater for a large number of people, but they did a good job. Now, would I be capping if I said it stood up to Regino Barbecue? Yes, but it was still really good. Uh, Regino Barbecue, kind of under construction right now, but they're going to be open brick and mortar at uh, Regino Barbecue Market very soon. Like you said, Rob, we're what, less than eight weeks or right at eight weeks from the home opener. And so if you're coming back to Lubbock for the Oregon game, make plans to go to Regino Barbecue. Start following them on social now, kind of get a feel for what they serve. They're cooking up new menu items all the time at Regino BBQ. ReginoBBQ.com, you can order ahead. They're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, whenever they're up and running, that is. You can order ahead. The lines are long, so make sure your food is there when you get there. Thank you, Torino Barbecue. All right, let's get to Joey. All right, Joey McGuire. Uh, I'm just going to go through my notes list by list. Um, a couple of good ones here. 19 or 18 starters back from the bowl team. That was a good note. Uh, on the recruiting trail, uh, oh, this was a good line. He said uh, he signed the fastest class in America, and that's just not a feel-good stat. That's in black and white. I thought that was a good line. Um, what do you think about his line about? Uh, and he said this a lot last year too, but having the best quarterback room in the country because that got a little steam on social media. Yeah, that in the the D line room comment, and I want to talk about that too. But you and I have talked before, Rob. Joey, Joey says Brand don't care, but also Joey don't care. Like he'll say stuff. He's like, I don't care if this you know, gets ratioed on Twitter or if if people think it's ridiculous. So he just goes up there and says, yeah, you know, Tyree Wilson, number seven overall draft pick. He said something he's like, you know, don't don't call me crazy. I would take him back in a heartbeat if I could. But he said as a unit, our defensive line might be even better this year. And I, I, I believe him. Like, I don't know if I agree with him, but I believe him that he thinks that because I don't – I just think he's such a sincere and genuine person. I don't think that he would just lie about that. Uh, but to see Texas fans specifically get so triggered at the quarterback room comment, like, what is he supposed to say? Uh, yes, exactly. Hey, hey, I think we got a good team, but, man, I'd kill for uh, for Quinn Ewers in the quarterback room. I think that's one area where we, you know, if I could get Dylan Gabriel or Quinn Ewers in there, then we'd have a really good squad. And, like, d- does he overstate it? Yeah. I'm not even going to say maybe, like, yeah. He could just say, I'm confident in our quarterback room. Both guys have started and won games in the Big 12. They're both extremely talented. And leave it at that. But he, he chooses not to. That's his style. He said this team would beat last year's bowl team by 14 points. He said everything runs through Lubbock. He was asked about that. So, guys, this is just how Joey is. He's going to say stuff that, like, might be hard for you to defend in a Twitter spat with a, an opposing team's fan. But he's not going to shy away from those comments, especially if he believes them. And so 
if he thinks Miles Cole has developed and Steve Linton is an NFL draft pick and he thinks overall as a unit that they're better, you know, Jalen Hutchings is a year better, Tony Bradford is a year better. If he thinks they're better than Tyree Wilson, then then that's what he thinks. And like in my mind, he's kind of earned the credibility and right to say that. And like I'll trust him until he gives me reason not to. And I, I don't know how many I, this is just a side note, but I don't know how many day two coaches sat and watched Big 12 Media Days from day one. But Joey McGuire referenced uh, Dana, Dave Aranda, and Sonny Dykes all from year one or day one of the Media Days. And he was like, well, Sonny said yesterday. Well, you know, Dave said yesterday. Well, Dana said yesterday. And it's like, this guy just consumes the Big 12. He consumes football. We were talking to Mike Craven, and he's like, this guy texts me at 1 a.m. about high school playoffs. And it's like, this guy just lives football, and it makes me happy knowing that kind of effort is going into the program. Um, something else we've talked about on this podcast that we finally got clarity to, it was the open to our podcast, and then you know some other people were using it, so we stopped using it on our podcast open, but everything runs through Lubbock, Okay. I had said on this podcast right here, the Gambling Gauchos, two years old now, that I don't think that that was supposed to get out. And I've said that before, and you were kind of like, well, that's all carefully curated. Uh, I think they probably meant for it to get out, which I agree with and I believe in. But I felt like today Joey McGuire said, yeah, definitely didn't mean for that to get out. That was a locker room thing. But everything everything that comes out of my mouth, I 100% believe in. So I didn't really care that it got out. Yeah, and like I've, it's hard to like totally defend because like I just ragged on Texas for going eight and five. Tech also went eight and five. The difference being, I don't tell everybody that, you know, Tech is their Super Bowl, at least not seriously, or that like Tech runs the conference or anything. But I've like, I have kind of defended the everything runs through Lubbock comment because he was six and one in Lubbock last year, I think. Um, And the two teams that played for the Big 12 title, neither one of them won in Lubbock. And so, I don't know. Maybe you can. Now, I know that beating Texas in Lubbock directly kept them out of the Big 12 championship game because they had they won that game in Lubbock and the rest of the season played out the way it did. They would have had the tiebreaker over Kansas State. So it's like, yeah, I mean, like if you want to play in the Big 12 championship and win it, then then win in Lubbock. And he's only one year into his tenure. I think from that standpoint, it's somewhat justifiable. But, yeah, he was like, you know, that wasn't really supposed to get out. But I also don't say anything unless I 100 percent believe it. And so. Like, he didn't really back down from it or say, like, yeah, I know I should clarify this is what I meant or apologize if it was taken the wrong way. And then, Rob, like, three hours after he said, you know, hey, our social team put some stuff out and, like, I didn't really approve of that one, they tweet a picture of the Big 12 trophy. Not, not like, you know, the field or the Big 12 logo, the trophy for the champion and said, see you soon or see yeah. you in December. Like, yes. So, I – if Texas fans want to get on our ass about what Joey says and that we're way too confident, like, okay, do it. Like you're just a guy on Twitter, but clearly the head honcho Joey and the people within the program are not backing down from any of these expectations or they're not making any effort to come across as not extremely confident. That's the way they want to do it. Again, he's earned the trust and credibility in my mind, but we'll do it that way. And if it, 
if it crashes and burns this year, maybe he recalibrates and says, you know, I don't think so. We need to prove it on the field first before we start talking like that. But yeah. uh, like, who am I to tell him at this point? Hey, you should be tweeting like this or talking to your team like this or setting expectations like that. Do it however you want. And like, I'm going to trust the guy that's won two state titles and won some big games last year. And then finally, the recruiting West Texas, he called it the state of West Texas, which I don't think I've heard him say before. He might have said it once or twice, but to actually call it the state of West Texas, I thought was really cool and uh, kind of an ode to Howard Schnellenberger there at Miami recruiting the state of Miami. Yeah, I thought that was a, a good line, too. And I didn't make that connection with the, the 30 for 30 and the state of Miami until you mentioned that to me. That was a good catch. Um, a quick point on that. And again, like I said at the top of the episode with Bulls being Wells, I don't want to just slander guys. I remember vividly, Rob, the same summer that Matt Wells spoke at the THSEA Coaches Clinic in San Angelo, Texas, West Texas. He said, we're going to build a wall around West Texas and we're going to recruit here first. I thought that sounds awesome. Like I would love that. Yeah. And some years, Rob, there's two power five kids in the entirety of Wichita Falls, San Angelo, Abilene, Lubbock, Amarillo, El Paso, Midland, Odessa. Some years there's six. When there's six, I want like four or five of them at least. When there's two, I want both of them. The same year that Matt Wells said that in San Angelo, do you know where the town of Wall is? Uh, yes, right by San Angelo. It's right outside San Angelo. There's a kid in Wall, Texas, an offensive lineman, who had a Baylor offer. Baylor, uh, a team that I think at the time you hadn't beaten but maybe once in the last I don't he was good enough for Baylor and they they got him and I mentioned that Baylor has one kid who's ever started a big 12 game on the offensive line at Baylor it's not him but he is projected to be one of the other starters like well you know what as much as we've talked about that position group needing help and depth I would love to have a kid from Wall Texas who's good enough to start at Baylor was good enough to get an offer from Joey and Blanchard staff at Baylor not good enough for Matt Wells' staff. And then just the the double-down effect of him saying that in San Angelo about a kid that he wouldn't offer who was basically from San Angelo. And so I love that Joey doubles down on that. He's real about it. I think that we would have gotten Major Everhart and Kyler Jordan, the cycle that Joey was hired, had he been here all along. But ever since then, like, here's another one. I promise I wasn't trying to do this. These are just coming back to me. There was a linebacker at Coronado. Coronado High School. It's 10 minutes from campus. Matt Wells and his staff offered him about like three days before signing day. He was an SMU commit. Again, at the time, I'm not turning my nose up at any kid who's committed to SMU or Houston. Like, we need all the help we can get. They try to offer him like three days before signing day. He sticks with SMU. Well, we just offered some kid from Coronado who's like class of 2026 or something. So, like I, he, I guess he's what about to play his sophomore season of high school yeah. ball, and we're already offering versus the kid that we offered three days before signing day. It's just, it's a stark contrast, and again, it makes me mad that people who get paid a lot of money are kind of abdicating their basic responsibilities. So I love that he said that about recruiting West Texas because there's just too many examples of kids getting out of our backyard 
and it's a big geographic backyard compared to other schools. Like, you know, a hundred miles away is a hometown kid, uh, you know, for Lubbock and West Texas. But I love that he says that's a point of emphasis and he's real about it. He's recruited guys that are from this area. I know he'll continue to do so. And he doesn't have this mentality that, oh, you have to play six, a in Houston or Dallas to be a D one football player. Like they'll find some three, a kid, two, a kid in West Texas and say, if you've got the measurables, we'll turn you into a football player. I will push back a little bit. You said there was maybe two per class or six per class. I think you're underrating West Texas a little bit. I think there's probably 10 or 15 per class that could go out and play. They're just under-recruited. And I think you can get four, three, four, five, every class of the cream of the crop. And I think you can be there. And if there's two great players every year or six great players in, a, in an odd year, then I think you should absolutely be going and getting those guys. I, I think that's a great point. Like I, I'm looking at, how many have been signed to power five rosters, but if you're finding guys early and more often than other programs have, which James Blanchard clearly has a knack for doing, then maybe it's 10 or 12 guys in this region that are worthy of a power five offer every year. And like, nobody was just finding them before. I would love to be the school that starts finding those guys and and then gets them to stay close to home in West Texas. All right. Anything else on uh, Joey? We meant we, well, we listened to him again, even after when I was taking notes. So, uh, nothing related to what he said, but again, just to kind of break down a dynamic that might not come through for people watching clips on social. Every coach is a lot of the same amount of time to speak. And as I mentioned, there's a variance in how long their opening statements are. Some get right to the questions, some kind of try to filibuster. It, it was on, honestly kind of like sad and embarrassing. Some coaches, they'd get three questions and then the guy working the podium is like, you know, any other questions for coach Brown? Any, anybody have a question? kind of a long pause is like, okay, coach, thank you for your time. And like he's done 10 minutes early because they didn't use his time. Neil Brown, especially he's shuffling up there, getting his paper. Yeah. But like it happened. Yeah. He was pissed. Um, d- dude, if he's not coaching with like the biggest chip on his shoulder. I, I, oh man. Hey, um, watch out for West Virginia, man. I'm trusting the client. It spreads. Uh, <laughs> but it, like it happened to Sataki as well, uh, to a lesser extent with other coaches. But then there was a few coaches, Joey was one of them, where they said, if you have a question, keep your hand raised. And I'm sitting there doing this for 20 minutes, and I'm, like, changing arms because my arms are getting tired. And they don't get to me, and they don't get to five other people that wanted to ask him questions. There was that much interest and curiosity about Joey and the Texas Tech program, and that is definitely not equally distributed among the other Big 12 programs. And then he had a huge group at the media scrum. Yeah. And then – at the breakout sessions, there was a huge group again. I think him and Venables probably had an equal group. Um, but nobody standing around Iowa State. The Iowa State players are just sitting there. Hey, anybody want to talk to us? No. Which I, I will say the location of media days kind of lends itself to more interest in the Texas schools because like, sure. it's harder for a, a newsroom in Cincinnati or Salt Lake City or Orlando to travel all the way here versus like – most of the people covering Texas teams could like drive in the day of. Um, but anyway, I say all that just to illustrate that there was a ton of interest and energy around Joey McGuire, more so than other schools. And so I think the Tech fans should be proud of that. Um, the question I wanted to ask him, Rob, which was asked of him and answered later, was you're a high school coach who coaches college football. He's said that. And with, the, with your mark saying that, the Big 12 is going to explore playing on Thursday and Friday nights. You know, Fridays are sacred for high school football in the state of Texas. Wanted his thoughts on that 
because I thought they might kind of differ from other coaches. And um, I, I thought he played both sides of it well. You know, he said basically, you know, Friday nights are special, but you know, if that's if that's for the good of the conference and that kind of enhances our visibility and interest, then you know, we're open to doing it. But he just talked about how big high school football was in Texas. Like, you know, Allen has 17,000 people at their home games and, you know, we're sitting in Jerry world. And he's like, when I played state championships here, we had 54,000 people watching. And so uh, anyway, I thought he answered that diplomatically because he could have said like, Hey, Friday is for high school. And like, we shouldn't be doing that. Or he could have just towed the company line entirely and said, you know, yeah, if your Mark wants to spend on Friday, we will. He kind of did both. He like, paid homage to high school football and his roots, but also didn't sound like he was – I don't think he loves the idea, but it didn't sound like he was just totally against it either. I will say I was there when he was doing that. I, I kind of walked around and tried to get some answers from the players too, but um, <laughs> Joey is real quick to answer questions. Um, you know, he, he does the I'll repeat the question back and then answer kind of thing, which is what a good answer does. But – he, he took a big beat and was very calculated on what he needed to do for that answer. So I, I did think that he, he didn't like the idea of playing on Friday night, but understands the idea of playing on Friday night. Yeah, and I hope that if they do play Thursday and Friday, this is where I'm putting my commissioner hat on, and if I was advisor to your Mark, I would say, hey, let Cincinnati and UCF play on Friday night. And like, give the Texas teams, if you must, give us a Thursday. And I, I personally prefer Friday. Um, it, it's better TV viewership. Um, again, we have data on that, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. And for a school like Tech, where your alumni base in a lot of instances is traveling five hours, Friday travel is easier than Thursday travel. You, know, you take one day off work instead of two. Um, so I don't know if they can work something like that and say, okay, like when Baylor and Oklahoma State and Tech have to play, we'll do it on Thursday. But when Iowa State, BYU, like we'll do those on Friday. And I don't think you'd have to do it more than twice every three seasons or something like that. I mean, obviously I don't want to go full maxion where like half your conference games are on Thursday. That would that would suck. But but one per year I, I can kind of live with, even though I don't I don't love it. All right. We are an hour and ten minutes in. I'm gonna Oh my gosh. I'm going to speed run the last couple of notes I have. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right. Neil Brown, 132 starts returning on the offensive line. Plus. Now, was that different from the number you had? No, but just he said he was going to call the plays. and oh, yeah, then, We're getting he, there. Okay. Uh, four of them are freshman All-Americans on the offensive line, former freshman All-Americans. And then he listed a bunch of starts – now, it's not from West Virginia, not West Virginia starts, but a bunch of starts in that secondary too. So if they're good on the offensive line and if they're good in the secondary, they can be a good Big 12 team. I, I think you're starting to trust the climb right around the time I'm coming around to what you were saying. Oh, no, I, I'm about to get off the climb because go ahead. Okay. Well, he was he was talking about like – he was asked like how he could improve from last year. He was like, well, you know, we ran the ball well, but we really need to set up more explosive pass plays through the run. and you know this, like, I want them to run the ball 50 times a game. That's their recipe for success. And so if his mind is in a place where he's like, well, we need to throw the ball down the field better. It's like, no, you don't, man. Just hand the ball off. Uh, Like, you you literally don't need to target anybody more than 15 or 20 yards downfield. Um, And he was like, yeah, I'm going to call the plays. 
we're going to use tempo. I was like, what are you? No, you should be the you should be the slowest team in the Big Twelve this year. Yes, but NASCAR so, can't do it. So <laughs> I told you guys. I told you. I told the the Ram uh, Rush, Ramblin' Rush. Yeah. And the the Russian Ryan show. I told you guys. Do not trust Neil Brown. Neil Brown will Neil Brown this, and he's going to do it again because he took over play calling duties, and he's going to NASCAR Neil it. He's got the talent. He's got to build. Go full carry Kubiak. Yep. If you throw it, it's play action. If you take a shot downfield, it's because you ran it 17 times. And they have eight guys in the box. Yes. But so he's, he started saying that. I was like, dude, you've got the personnel to run it down everybody's throat. You should be the slowest, most deliberate, most run-heavy team in this oh, conference. He was like, well, we need explosive pass splits. We're going to go tempo. I'm going to call the plays. And I was like, okay. I was like, Rob, you, if he's going to coach like that, then maybe I'm not as high on West Virginia as I thought. And I was building, man. I liked his – he had a little fire. I thought he commanded the room even though he didn't get a bunch of questions. Uh, he had the chip on his shoulder because media picked him 14th. He brought it up in his, his you know, pre-conference uh, comments. And I was like, yes, go Neil Brown. I love it. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to call plays. No! Stop! Let somebody yeah, else do it. When he said we're going to go tempo, I was like, oh, my God. God help me. But I'm the same, though. Like, he walked out almost first thing he said. He's like, I'll just address it now. We were picked last. I disagree with that. I was like, all right, like, let's, let's go. Do it. And then but, he ruined it all. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, okay. Campbell, he he thinks they learned their lessons from the gambling thing. <laughs> yeah, they got too many gambling gouges on that roster, I guess. He dodged that question. He was asked about it, which, by the way, shout out to Shehan Raja from CBS. He, like, I think it was the first question. He was like, hey, Coach, any update on the gambling and specifically Hunter Deckers? And I was like, yeah. I didn't know his name was, like, publicly out there yet on that. But um, – he, he dodged and said, like, I'm not involved. They've kept me out of that, which which is a smart thing to do. My only real takeaway from him, well, two things. He said their tight end room is deeper than it's ever been. And I watched them destroy us with that position, like, single-handedly. So that is a little bit frightening if that's real. And he's just the prototypical football coach press conference guy. Like, he is perfect in that setting. He's great at the Q&A with the media, all the right terminology, and not in like a corny way that is overdone and cliche. He's just really good in that setting. And so like, I can see why his name comes up for every job. Cause I bet anytime he does like an initial interview with somebody that they're like, Oh yeah, we love this guy. And I, I can see him winning over recruits. I can see him winning over a locker room. I can see him winning over assistant coaches. Um, so yeah, he was, that was my first time to really get to see him in that kind of setting. And he, he was really good. Uh, I did think he had a good line on winning at Iowa State, going up the rough side of a mountain, and and he understands that. And I think they are disadvantaged in Ames, Iowa, for a lot of reasons. But a lot of the reasons we talk about how they're disadvantaged that he's overcome. Um, but again, just a really good, a really good. Um, answerer of questions yeah he's good uh and then last one brent vegetables uh so i pick up on words that coaches say a lot a holistic was one from lance leipold 
the brand is one from Joey McGuire. He said it in his opening statement. In Brent Venable's filibuster of an opening statement, so he wouldn't have to answer as many questions, he said everything matters four times. And then when he was answering questions, he referenced everything matters even more. I feel like if it was a drinking game, we would have been hammered by the end of Brent Venable's statements. And then the first question about last year and last year's defense, he says, you know, last year doesn't matter. So everything matters, but last year doesn't matter. And you know what everything matters reminds me of? How we do one thing is how we do everything. Do you know who always said that? Matt Wills. Mm. Everything matters. Yeah. Uh, I'll give him credit. He said last year was not up to the standard that we expect. And he didn't go full on Sark and say, well, you know, they see that OU on the helmet and we're going to get everybody special. He said he acknowledged that last year wasn't good enough. Um. I also thought this was kind of cool just from a Texas Tech fan's perspective. He was an assistant at Kansas State in the 90s under Snyder when, I think it was August 31st, 1996, Kansas State, Texas Tech played the very first Big 12 football game after the Big 8 and the Southwest Conference merged. And he he was like rattling off guys. He was like, you know, I you know, have deep appreciation for this conference. I was here during its origin. I coached against – Zebby Lethridge, Byron Hanspard, the legendary Spike Dykes. So I thought that was kind of cool that you know, it didn't feel like a forced compliment. Like he was just remembering guys that played and coached during that era for Texas Tech. And so I kind of appreciated that from him. Um, w- one of the questions was like very uh, – it wasn't intended to be this way, but like basically insulting. They were like, hey, your defense was really bad last year. So yeah. I think you were ranked like 121st or something and – he, like, kind of tried to correct. He was like, well, we were, like, 90-something in scoring. It was like, okay, well, like, you know, good job. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he he owned it for the most part. He said, like, last year we gave up 4.4 yards per carry. The best teams in the country give up two and a half. So, like, we need to shave two yards per carry, and that's a lot. Um, so, I like that he kind of referenced the data. I love when coaches do that. And I think, by and large, when compared to the other logo in the conference, he was – he owned it and said – Basically, we sucked last year. We need to do better Yeah. Um, in all aspects and didn't just say – he was also very – I mean, almost contradictory because they're leaving the conference, but he said, like, you know, this is the deepest conference or the most competitive. He said something like that. And um, Did you get a phone call in the last couple of minutes? Yes, I did. Yeah, okay, I just got one. You got a text um, me as well. Okay. I wonder what's going on. Um what was I saying? But oh, like all these things, like very flattering to the Big 12 conference. Yeah. Um, that I, I appreciate and Like it seemed sincere, but it was like, you know, y'all are leaving. And, but that's certainly better than him just like throwing shade or whatever. Um, he was asked about the Bedlam question. We alluded to that earlier. I liked his answer on that. And, and I kind of knew what it was going to be. He said, like, look, that's above my pay grade. Those conversations happen among other people. He said, if they asked me my opinion, I would tell them what I think, and I think we should play that game. But, you know, I don't decide the schedule. I just coach for the schedule that's in front of us. And so I thought all things considered, that was a good answer. Um, 
at least he was willing to acknowledge that it was a rivalry. Like, cause he could have taken the low road and said like, well, you know, we're on to bigger and better things. Now we're going to have to focus on schools like Florida and Arkansas and LSU. And so it's time to let that rivalry go. He said, you know, if it were up to me, I would want to play it, but it's not. And so I kind of, I respected that answer. All right. Ready for a mailbag? Diversified lenders mailbag. Yeah. Uh, before we get there driving home, you were kind enough to drive me to and from the, uh, from Jerry world today. And we're having a little bit of a legal debate in the truck because I finished off a, uh, what are they called? Blow pops. Yeah. And Amber. yeah, the guy in front of us, he was blasting blow pops all day, but, um, another great touch big told media is they have mints, candy, bubble gum out there. And so I took a blow pop for the road when I was done. I rolled down your truck window and threw the, uh, the stick of the lollipop. And you were like, Hey, you know, don't mess with Texas. And I was like, well, it's biodegradable. It's paper. And you're like, does that mean it's not illegal? And I said, I think so. But I, so anyway, if you get caught littering, call our friends over at Barnett, Howard and Williams, or if you're accused of littering, but it was something that was biodegradable and you think you're innocent, you can plead your case to Barnett, Howard and Williams, bhwlawfirm.com. They handle cases much more probably high profile, I would say, and serious than that. They hope you never need them. But should you need somebody like that, you have somebody strong in your corner. They are based here in Fort Worth, but handle cases all across the state of Texas. One of the only law firms in Texas certified for Title IX student litigation. You can also do if you got hurt at work, criminal defense, catastrophic injury, anything like that. BHWLawFirm.com. All right. Now back time. Yeah, our first one is actually in the YouTube comments. What flavor blow pop green apple is the best? And Mr. Root, it was green apple. So there you go. You also said your favorite uh, candy flavor was strawberry. Yeah. I would say cherry or uh, blue raspberry. Blue raspberry is a good one. I like blue raspberry. All right. Which Big 12 team is most likely to fake injuries to catch a breath in 2023? It's Houston because they're on, they're on camera doing it last year, like in the most explicitly obvious way. So that hundred percent Houston. Uh, following up, give us your pitch on how to fix this. And you wrote down your answer. You want me to read it to you? Yeah, I think I remember most of it. But I, th- if a player, uh, since we're concerned about player well-being and player safety, if you come off, you cannot come back on that drive. And um, what else did I put on there? Charge a timeout if it happens after the ball is set or if it happens more than twice and a half. Yeah, because, like, it's one thing to, I don't know, fake an injury or, like, a guy cramps up. But when it's like, oh, shit, they're set, let's do – then it's, like, egregious. And so, yeah, again, player safety, let's, let's call a timeout and, you know, tend to that player's injury or fake injury. But – you have to call timeout just like you do when, when it's under two minutes or whatever. And so, but you, it's not a freebie. You can't just tell a player to lay down and get a free timeout whenever you want. That's not, that should be a violation of the rules. So yeah, that, that player is done for the drive and you have to use a timeout if the ball has been set. If every big 12 coach had a burner account, who would have the best handle? Is it Dana? Dana, Dana, no, Dana would Dana. have the best content. Yeah. He would, he would have a cool handle. Oh Yeah. Like Red Bull for 2069. <laughs> yeah. Red Bull lover, L-U-V-R for 2069. See, I can be nice to Houston. Like, I, they're the most likely team to fake an injury, but also their coach would have the best burner account. Yeah. Uh, start bench cut these role models. 
You ready? Mark Adams, Chris Beard, Bob Huggins. Mark Adams, I think, is the only two that didn't commit a crime. That's what I was going to say. So I'd start Mark Adams. Uh, this is going to sound bad. I guess I'm benching Beard because the charges were dropped, no conviction. But, like, Huggins and, again, like, DUI, kind of a sensitive thing for me personally. Like, you can you can hurt a lot of people really badly, and he's done it twice. Um, and, again, his case was not like, oh, I had one too many. It was three times the legal limit as a 350-pound man. Um, but he recycles. See, so that is something you would want to aspire to. But yeah. I think on the aggregate, I'm still going to have to cut Huggy. I think for the same reasons, I would also do the, the benching beard. If you were the commissioner of the Big 12, do you look west or east for your next expansion team? West now. And then if you get some Pac-12 resolution, I think you probably give up going west. Maybe San Diego State. But I, I'm not sold on that. So then I guess you would look east to maybe UConn. But but if you only have one candidate out there, do you even bother? Do you just wait? I just think it'll be so long until you can get like an ACC school. I don't want to add another group of five like Memphis, UNLV. So maybe San Diego State if you just really needed the Pacific time zone that badly. Um, maybe like San Diego State and UConn as two. So one east, one west. But – I'm trying to get as much from the four corners as possible right now, and then when that door is closed, then you can start to look east. What chip are you putting in your sandwich? Salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. What kind of sandwich? Oh, I was just thinking like a you know like a cold cut with cheese, um, you know like that you pack to work every day. I I think salt and vinegar chips go really well with like a homemade sandwich. I would go the whatever flavor of the thin lays. I like that style of chip on a sandwich as far as sandwich eating goes. Yeah. Uh, um, start bench cut chips, chip and Dale and Alvin and the chipmunks. And this is chips, the television show. Oh, I don't know. I, I was thinking like potato chips. Um, I guess, I guess I'll start Alvin and the Chipmunks bench chips because I don't know what that is, and then cut. Chippendales are like the male strippers, right? No, Chippendale is the. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Chippendales. Yes, Chippendales, but we're talking Chip and Dale. The who are they? Ch Ch Chip and Dale, the little gopher guys. I don't know who they are either. Oh, uh, it's Chip and Dale. Uh, I guess they're cool. Okay, I'll, I'll start them, I guess. Yeah, we're starting Chip and Dale. So, do you like the Chip and Dales? <laughs> I like Chris Farley. Start bench process cut with the same three, but with the Chip and Dales in there as well. Uh, start Chip and Dale, bench chips, process Chip and Dales, cut Alvin and the Chipmunks. Okay. You don't like the chipmunks? No, dude. Their voices are annoying. Me, I want a hula hoop. No. I love those guys, man. I'm going to – hey, hold on. Do that again. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, it's not going to work for you. It made it work for me. You can do it. Da, 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 
I don't know the song. You said we wanted to use the board more. There you go. <laughs> the power of the board. My favorite one is the monster setting. She go like this. Yeah. They talk media days. It's fun. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, power rank your favorite money line player. What? Oh, major league. See, this is a gambling podcast. Uh, power rank your favorite major league player swings to copy as a kid. Julio Franco. Was he the one that did the, the bat forward? He might have. I I like that. Or the uh, Jason Veritek. I used to love to imitate uh, Craig Council. He had his arms like way up above his head. Remember him? Yeah. Sammy Sosa because he would just like stick his butt out so far. Yeah. Um, was it was it Cal Ripken Jr. who just like held the bat straight back, kind of? Yeah, I think so. And then lifted it and swung. Yeah. Um, and I liked Bagwell, the like really deep squat. Um, deep squat. And then and then Griffey, if I could imitate that swing, I I wouldn't be doing this podcast. With he had the sweetest, most beautiful swing. If I could do that, I'd be a I'd be in the majors right now, but I can't. Start bench cut home run derby edition steroid era Bonds McGuire Sosa. Start Bonds bench McGuire. Yeah, in that order. Uh, I'm going to skip some of these. We can come back to them the next episode. I want to get to the Big 12 Media Day questions. Ooh, ooh, this is a good one. Who is your go to team in the NCAA video game, depending on the year? Yeah, I, I loved watching Tim Tebow. As a kid, he was one of my favorite players. And so stacked. NCAA 06, Florida. Yeah. Uh, by the time he, like, his freshman year, I guess his ratings probably weren't that good. But, like, by the time he was a sophomore, I loved playing with Tebow. Uh, Pat White and Steve Slayton, speed option all day long with West Virginia. I oh. love doing that. Um, I'm trying to think who else from back. I remember being, like, disappointed trying to play with Tech because they got no respect. I was like, oh, yeah, like Cliff Kingsbury, a million touchdowns. And like, they Crabtree the one year. Yeah, I was thinking like earlier, but like NCAA 03, and they've got Cliff is like, you know, 78 overall. I was like, what? What's uh, What was the quarterback's name before Tebow? Chris, Chris Leak. Leak. Yeah. That's the team I loved playing with. I hated playing with lefty quarterbacks. That's fair. But Chris Leak, those running backs, the tight ends, that was, a, that was a dynamic team. The number one wide receiver. Was it Braylon Edwards? No. I loved playing with Michigan, too, with Mike Hart and Braylon Edwards. Oh, yeah. Chad Henney. Henney. That was a good team. Anything is possible. And then Notre Dame. I played with Notre Dame a lot. A little bit later, like right around 2010, when everybody started going Oregon with their unis, um, Florida State had all blacks, and I loved all black. Like No matter the school, I'm not really as – I'm not really fond of any alternates so much anymore. I like throwbacks, but not really alternates. Um, so anyway, Fl- uh, Percy Harvin, yeah, he was a dude. Florida State had like all black unis. They had a dual threat quarterback. I can't remember what his name was. He was like before EJ Manuel. Um, I'm blanking on it. Like in between Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel. But anyway, I like I liked playing with dual threat quarterbacks because I loved running in NCAA. So those are some teams I liked to use. I uh, on the same lines. I always started my road to glory or whatever with Maryland. 
I like their uniform. I did that too. When you score touchdowns, they'd say, the Terrapins. <laughs> Back in uh, – so 2007, I feel like, was the Big East's coming out party as like a new co- – like after Virginia Tech and Miami left. And it was fun. Like they had West Virginia. Rutgers was actually good back then under Greg Schiano. Um, Louisville had like just gotten the call up, I think, from Conference USA. Or maybe they were still in Conference I don't remember. But Louisville had like Brian Brom, uh, a running back named Michael Bush, who was really good. And so I liked playing with them as kind of like an up-and-coming school. Um, so, yeah, just kind of like a, just a bunch of random ones there. But, yeah. All right, can you rank the Big 12 teams on distance from Big 12 media days? Well, let me let me find the – okay, I got it. You ready? Yeah, I can try. Um, so we'll start with furthest away. It's one of three. Is it Provo? It's Provo. And then I don't know if Orlando or Morgantown would be further. Orlando, Morgantown in that order. Okay, and then the rest would be easy. Is this well is Cincinnati next? Cincinnati. So then it'd be Ames. Ames. Uh Manhattan. Manhattan. Lawrence. Lawrence. Then like I don't know between uh so 20, Lubbock. Twenty three mile difference between the next two. Lubbock. Lubbock and then is like Houston next? Houston. And then so like is Austin, Norman or Stillwater? All those are pretty close. I mean TCU and B- or, uh, TCU and Baylor are the two closest. Right. So you got the three in the middle here. Can we go perfect? Can we sweep? I'll, I'll say Stillwater is the next furthest. Stillwater. And, and then Nor- there's, there's a four mile difference between Austin and Norman. I'll say Norman is further. It's Austin. Oh, close. Oh, you missed well, you missed two because you missed one. Yeah. Dang. We're not the geography gauchos. Hey, no, that was really impressive. I wouldn't have done that. That was awesome. Well, once you get like the really far ones, then you just kind of like work your way down I-35. But then when you get to like within three hours of Dallas, then there's a few that are all kind of right there. All right. What comes to mind when someone says this is football weather? A drizzle, 55. Yeah. I'm thinking usually that's like Midwest Big Ten football. Yeah. Um, Like when you hear it in Texas – it's like when it's in the 70s and it's like a little cooler, but yeah. I'm thinking like a run the ball, three yards in a cloud of dust in the Big Ten. I need the smell of wood fire. Somebody's grilling. That's all part of the weather to me. Yeah. Cold. You just turned your heater on. Uh, you only get to watch one more college football game before you die. Who do you want calling it? Keith Jackson, Brent Musburger, Gus Johnson, or Ron Franklin? Remind me, Ron Franklin, because Keith Jackson is Woe Nelly. Yeah, right? Brent Musburger, you know. Yeah. Ron Franklin, uh, by golly. I didn't remember Ron Franklin as much. I'm as having a hard time placing that one. Yeah. I might, I'm, I'm sure I'd recognize it if I heard it, but. Start, bench, process, cut, these four. So we'll cut Ron Franklin. So I, I like Gus, but if it's it's the last college football game I can ever watch, I'm probably not picking that. No, he's um, he's distracting in that respect. I do love Gus though. I'll I'll cut the guy I've never heard of, Franklin. Yeah. Um, I'll process. Honestly, I'll actually process Musburger, bench Gus, and start Keith Jackson. 
I like that. I like that. I like Keith Jackson. He's probably my favorite. Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to add a – Between you and Root. I'm going to add a clarification to my last answer. Musburger 20 years ago, I would have taken it. Um, He fell off. Yeah. SEC homer, old man Musburger, no. Sorry, what about me and Root arguing? Well, I just was – I lost the plot a little bit. Which upcoming movie is Kyle most likely to see in theater? Oppenheimer, the Barbie movie, Dune Part 2, or Napoleon? Are you answering on my behalf? Uh, I would go Napoleon. I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. Do you know the historical figure Napoleon? Napoleon Bonaparte? Yes. Yeah, he was a short king. It's his life story, and Joaquin Phoenix is playing Napoleon. I think it's supposed to be comedic. See, I, I didn't want to assume there, because I went and saw the movie Lady Bird about five years ago, assuming it was about LBJ's wife, and no. it had nothing to do with that. No, it was um, a coming-of-age story between two young women. Yeah, so like I hear Napoleon, I'm like, okay, like obviously I know Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, anyway. Oppenheimer, I think yeah. history, you'd like that one too. Yeah, uh, the one I might be most likely to see, though, is Barbie, just because my wife brought it up yesterday. She's like, hey, do you want to go see the Barbie movie? And I was like, no. But, like, if it's, you're... It's my wife, Margot Robbie. Oh, hey, so... Sport. Yeah. Uh, which head coaches impressed you the most at Media Days? Not even just being a homer, but but Joey, um, Gus, Matt Campbell, Chris Kleiman. Climbing, I thought, was really good. Matt Campbell was really good. Um, Satterfield at Cincinnati, snooze fest. Don't remember a single thing he said. It hurt him that he went right after Joey. That's tough. It was a tough follow. Now, I liked Malzahn, too. Yeah. All right, did you meet any notable media members that you're going to want to get on the pod? Yeah, so we... We met people that that we've met before, and like got to kind of hang out with them more. Joe Goodman and the uh, the Bear Den Pod. Um, it's cool to hang out with him. We saw some some Lubbock people. There was Red Raider Sports was out there covering. There's a couple different radio stations. Don Williams, of course, from the AJ. The Goat. Uh, we ran into our our peers that are on staff at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. So Mike Craven, Ishmael Johnson. Um, Mallory and it's Carter. Carter Yates, yeah. It's my first time meeting him. So, yeah, they were doing a great job. They're doing all kinds of video interviews. And, um, of course, they kind of, like, talked to them over email and Twitter and stuff. But cool to meet them in person. Met one of our compadres from the uh, TCU podcast within the network, Melissa. Uh, Dean Strzok. Yeah, Dean Straka from CBS. Uh, Shehan Jairaja also from CBS. John Kurt. Um, yeah, John Kurtz, uh, his podcast partner, Cole. And then I think Derek Young, I think we saw him but didn't meet him. It was it was funny, Rob, to point out, uh, like national guys, we didn't go talk to him, but yeah. I was like, there's Brett That's McMurphy, right. there's yeah. Bruce Feldman, there's Brock Heward. Yeah. So that was kind of fun just to kind of like play I Spy with some of those dudes. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, really good crowd. A lot of people there. And of course, some that like I've never seen or heard of before because they were coming from Cincinnati or Orlando. I thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, um, it was cool to meet some of those folks that you, you feel like you kind of know through Twitter or like even like Kurtz, we've had him on a couple times and have talked to him for a long time, but to get to actually shake somebody's hand and all that good stuff was a lot of fun. So it, it was a cool experience. All right. That's all I got, man. You have any final thoughts? Yeah. Give me a second to come up with one. Dang. A hundred minutes of us. Yeah. That was we're an hour 40. And I will say, um, we can give some final thoughts on the Twitter post you put right before we came on. Yeah. Let's, uh, I want you to do that real quick. Uh, Part of meeting some other folks that are plugged in in our actual Big J journos, you kind of get a little bit of scuttlebutt that isn't so public. And we shared a couple of nuggets in the Discord. Again, patreon.com slash gambling gouches if you want. I'm not saying there's anything like super groundbreaking, but if you want a little bit of a behind-the-scenes stuff that like we don't really feel comfortable tweeting or talking about here, that might be interesting to people. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, and then I'll – finish this out i was just gonna let you take it but i can i could say something if you want me to well yeah i thought you wanted to expand on the twitter post some yeah well i was gonna let you but i'll do it uh two years ago kyle and i two and a half years ago kyle slid into my dms and six months later we really got it going met at uh, market street in the dining room area sketching out what a schedule might look like if we'd want to do a podcast um, what it would look like is BJ Simmons going to be the third host. Is there going to be a, a countdown to kick off? When should we start it? All of those things were talked about. And I, I know we had expectations, Kyle, but 20,000 followers in on Twitter and uh, ha- having a guy work with us on memes for Instagram and young Trevor along the way, the other people who have worked with us along the way, just what we've built and the friendships we've gotten through Picadors and the Patreon and meeting people, going to games, people seeing the hat saying, oh, I love your podcast. A media member was in line to talk to Joey today, and he's like, oh, the Gambling Gauchos, I love the show. Keep up the good work. And it's like, oh, that's you know a peer there saying that they enjoy our work. I, I think it's been really special. I've been a part of, I don't know, five or six podcasts. None of them took off. So I'm the common denominator there, and Kyle, you – have been the uh, the shining moment here to really build this one. And I feel like, yes, we've done it together, but um, it wouldn't happen without you. And I wanted to say how appreciative I was of that. Well, you can say that, but uh, I don't know how to upload an episode. I don't know what a podcast feed is. And so we would just be two jamokes talking ball if, if not for your technical expertise. But yeah, I, I just remember it was almost exactly this time of year because – either we were talking about that day's countdown post because we kind of had the Twitter like just started or it was, I was talking about it coming up one, but I was like, yeah, I've got like Lawrence Flugens. He had 5,000 tackles and, and Lawrence Flugens was today. So I know we're like, it was this time two years ago. And it was just like, Hey, yeah, like you can come over to my apartment. I have two microphones. I mean, just the most Bush league setup. And um, yeah, I'm just, I feel super honored that, that we got invited to big 12 media days and that we have a, an audience, whether it was a big audience or a small audience. Um, 
because that's really what it's all about. Like we want to, we want to create stuff that's entertaining, that's fun. And if you and I are the only ones having fun, then basically we're just friends hanging out. And I do love you and appreciate you as a friend, but um, it's cool that other people, uh, at least some, you know, seemingly enjoy taking in the podcast. And uh, if it weren't for that, you know, this would just be you and I talking football over a beer, which would also be fun. But um, yeah, I echo everything you said. It's, it's been cool to, make friends that, you know, or people on Twitter, but then you like show up to a game or a tailgate with them. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And like, had you told me two years ago that, that we'd be in this spot that like, I would have our logo on a backdrop um, just like, wouldn't have believed it. Um, Cause we didn't, we didn't have a logo back then. We were using your memoji and a sombrero for our, our Twitter profile picture. And uh, Brian Don Carlos made our logo. So, and I, I was thinking about that today, sitting in the room with with everyone at Jerry World. I was like, man, there's, there's people that are pros, pros at this and have been doing it for 20 years. And I just like almost feel unworthy of being there because I'm just like some dude that stumbled in after starting a podcast two years ago. But um, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think we you and I have a lot of fun doing it and always trying to keep it creative and fun and unique and engaging. And I hope that hope our listeners feel the same way and I hope that they're having half as much fun as, as you and I are. Love you too, Kyle. <laughs> are you ready? You ready for the final thought? I'm ready. When the cat is gone, the mice dance on the table. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs>